Let's uh, open up to Galatians chapter 5 again. Not quite done. We probably have one more next week in chapter 5. And let's read from 16 through the end of the chapter. So we'll start at 5 at verse 16. This is the word of the Lord, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have uh, not... Uh, placed us on a ship without a rudder, that you have given us your word, and uh, so we know your will, we know what it means to live a life that is pleasing to you, and I pray as we study your word that you would uh, bring us conviction by your Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts and sanctify us so that we might walk in a manner worthy of our Savior Jesus, and we pray in his name, amen, amen. Um, for initial thought before we go into this fruit of the Spirit, um, I was thinking this morning about obedience to God. And obedience to God fundamentally makes no sense at all. It just doesn't make any sense. There's no positive to it. There's no immediate good that comes from it often. Right? It just, it, it's, it does not compute. So, for the unbeliever, obedience to God makes no sense, you know, and that, that's because they don't, they don't have the spirit, because they get, you know, they, they consider doing, being obedient only if they can get something out of the action, right? And so, their, their seeming obedience is not really obedience to God at all. It's just obedience to the thing that is going to get me off the hook or obedience for the thing that's going to get me what I want. So they never obey. Um, but even the believer, obedience often has no reward. It just often has no reward at all immediately, right? Um other than this, knowing that we are pleasing God. That's it. 
often that's the only reward of your obedience. In fact, your obedience may be extremely painful to you. You may have to go in after having not paid child support for 20 years and admit you haven't done it and turn yourself in and go to jail for 20 years. And the only reason you would ever do that is because you know that that's pleasing to God. You would never do it for any other reason. And I knew a man who did that. Um, but so obedience is often quite painful. It has no reward. Sometimes it leads to great pain. But the reward that's there is always knowing that we're pleasing God. And that should be satisfying to those who have the Spirit, to those who know the Lord. But if your obedience is always just you trying to work out your life, you trying to make sure that it, it fits, it's working out the way that you planned, you just don't know anything about this kind of life that's pleasing to God. Um, Living a life that's pleasing to God ought to be the only reward that you want. It ought to be enough for all of us, right? Just knowing that you're pleasing the one who made you, you're pleasing your Father in heaven, that ought to be enough. But if you don't have the Spirit, that will never, ever, ever be enough. It just won't be enough. You won't care whether you're living a life pleasing to God your obedience is much more. Your obedience is, what will I get out of it? And so you're, you're, you feign obedience because it's feigned because you're not doing it before the Lord or to please Him. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to God. That's what the apostle wrote. Have it as your ambition to please God. Is that enough reward for you? Um, you won't pursue holiness if you don't desire to be pleasing to God. Um, you will only um, you will only be working to get something out of your feigned obedience. Just a thought on obedience, that, that, you know, even obedience to the Lord doesn't lead to, often lead to pleasant things. It often leads to very painful things. But the reward is knowing that you're doing it to please the Lord, knowing that God is saying, well done, when you take on that, that pain in obedience to Him. He sees it, He knows it. And then one day, when every man stands before God being judged, and God has seen all of your activity, God has seen everything you've ever done or thought, God knows everything, when you stand before Him, if your obedience was feigned the whole time, it will be exposed. And God will say, I never knew you, depart from me. It'll be exposed. There's no getting, your feigned obedience is, is not hidden from the Lord, right? He sees everything. He knows the motives of men's hearts, okay? And so, 
Um, ask yourself whether in your obedience, even in your obedience, you're doing it just to lay out a path for your life, or whether you're obeying because you have a sense that God sees and God knows and God desires that I obey Him as my Father, and that He's pleased by obedience. He loves obedience. He's given us the Word and the knowledge of His will so that we might obey, okay? So, um, let's go into one fruit of the Spirit today. That's all I want to hit. I want to hit gentleness. Gentleness, okay? And, again, it's one of those words where we all think we know what gentleness means, right? But then you dig a little bit deeper and you you try to figure out, okay, does does, does this mean... Uh, what exactly does it mean, okay? And so, here are some other uses in the New Testament. And the word here is proates, okay? That's the adjectival form, proates. Uh, there are synonyms for gentleness and meekness, and there are sort of two Greek words that basically comprise this um, gentleness and meekness. We're focused on proates and it is, um, you find it eight or nine times in the New Testament. First Corinthians 4.21, what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? That is Paul pulling all the stops with the Corinthians and telling them, look, shall I come with a rod or should I come with a spirit of gentleness? And so those two things are contrasted there. Coming with a rod may not have been inappropriate, right? But it was different than coming in a spirit of gentleness. You know, sometimes the rod is needed. Sometimes the rod of discipline is right. So let's spend the rest of this this Sunday school on the godliness of spanking your children. (laughs) No, we're not going to. I just wanted to say that. Um... I'll just say very quickly that if you reject corporal punishment and spanking your children, then you reject the Word of God. So try to figure that out and explain that to me, okay? So what do you desire? So I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness. And 2 Corinthians 10.1, Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ... I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent, right? So he's, uh, he's referencing Jesus and Jesus' own meekness and gentleness. And of course, we know that Scripture says that, um, that Scripture refers to the meekness of Christ, right? And commends meekness to us in imitation of Christ. Uh, just ahead in Galatians 6, right? We'll get to there in a couple of weeks. But Galatians 6, the whole first part of that is when you correct somebody, do it in a spirit of gentleness, right? Lest you too be tempted and be carried along into sin, right? Gentleness and patience. Um, 
Ephesians 4, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which, which you, with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there's a bunch of words stuck together. Humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance. All the words we hate. Right? All the words we find disgusting because we live in a culture that has manipulated all of those things, right? And we know our own nature. And um, none of us are humble, gentle, patient, or tolerant. And we all struggle with those things. And yet that is what we are called to be in Christ so that the, we would preserve the unity of the Spirit in that bond of peace. And the bond of peace comes about exercising those um, graces of the Spirit. I can't get my page to turn. So the lesson's over. Uh-oh. There we go. Colossians 3.12, so as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 1 Timothy 6.11, but free, flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and we forget that the last one that Paul exhorts Timothy to is gentleness, right? We might remember faith and godliness and love and perseverance, but the last one he says is gentleness. 2 Timothy 2.25, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So there's a gentleness that's supposed to... Um, characterize the way that we rebuke, the way that we correct, the way that we um, oppose the um, oppose heretics even. James 3:13, who among you is wise and understand him, let him show by his good beha- by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Interesting combination there, the gentleness of wisdom. Wisdom is, uh, leads to or is informed by gentleness. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Okay, so all through the New Testament, it keeps coming back to this one particular Greek word, and it is properly translated gentleness. And um, here's, here's one definition I found online. Meekness, and I'm using meekness and gentleness as synonyms. Meekness, gentleness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. And that's a really good definition. Now, it's a little bit different than you were thinking. You were thinking gentleness is the opposite of of anger and harshness. 
right? That's how we generally think of gentleness. It's, um, it's the opposite of being uh, hard and intense and violent and passionate, right? Um, but, but listen to what this definition says. Meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. So gentleness is, is understanding that there is a sovereign God who has orchestrated the circumstances of your life and you accepting that fact and not getting angry at God for them. That's gentleness. And that really is somebody who has control of their spirit, right? That is a gentle spirit. Somebody who can go through great suffering and at the end of the day say, God, you, you meant this for good. I accept it. Now, some of us might be able to get there, like, um, in personal matters, right? In health issues, you've gone through suffering, you've seen the Lord sanctify you, and so you know, and you've responded with a spirit of gentleness. But you may have more difficult time responding to the tyranny of the American government with gentleness. Right? And so that's where your hackles get raised, and that's where you think you want to um, buy guns and create a militia in response to the tyranny of a democratic government that we've elected and put in place ourselves. Right? And yet, think about it. What would a, the fruit of the Spirit, when it comes to your governing authorities and your response to them, the fruit of the Spirit that leads to gentleness would actually change your disposition toward the things that you're suffering at the hands of others. I mean, Jesus said, when, when someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other. And we're like... That's fine and good unless it's the tyrants who rule over me. Right? Unless it's those tyrants. In the Old Testament, the meek, uh, this, goes, this is this definition. In the Old Testament, the meek are those wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend them against injustice. Listen to that again. In the Old Testament, the meek are those wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend them against injustice. And we think, nope, that's cowardice. That's not gentleness. Right? That was your first thought. That's cowardice, not gentleness. Right? For... for you know, if, if we're suffering injustice and we do nothing about it, that's cowardice. If we suffer injustice and don't proclaim our individual rights continuously, then that's cowardice, but not gentleness, right? 
Thus, meekness toward evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict, that he is using them to purify his elect, and that he will deliver his elect in his time. You see, it's that sort of disposition to be resolved to the sovereignty of God. That's what gentleness is. It's a disposition that's like, okay, God did this. God will take care of it. I don't have to start making cartridges in my basement. Gentleness. That's what gentleness is. We've been stirred up by millenarians and the political class and the media of our, of our nation. And we think that such behavior is impossible, that in the face of injustice, in the face of difficulty, in face of cultural drift and all that, to be gentle is to be cowardly. That's what we've been taught. That's sort of... And we've been taught that by by left and by right. I mean, both left and right-leaning politics in our nation would say that if you aren't opposing the radical right from the left or if you aren't opposing the woke left from the right, then you're being a coward and and you don't care about our culture and you just want the the whole ship to sink. Right? That's that's what we've been taught. We've been we've been We've been um, provoked into this spirit by unbelievers. We've been provoked into the spirit by unbelievers. You notice how every election now, the fate of our nation, or the fate of the church, or the fate of civilization is at stake. Give me a break. Seriously? Every election, the fate of the Christian faith is at stake. The faith of the nation. Oh, brother. Gentleness says, no, not true. Would you relax? Would you chill out? Would you, would you think past four years? You know, would you think, think through, think through what the church has been through over the past 6,000 years. Think through that and think of God's faithfulness through all of that. And think of the fact that we worship the triune God here today in ease and simplicity and in peace. And say, no, you can't, you can't move me off my gentle response. Doesn't mean I'm going to be a coward, but I'm going to be gentle. Even when persecution arises, God is still seated on his throne, is he not? Would we be surprised if God persecuted the church in the United States of America? Do you think that God... God What a mercy that would be if God disciplined the church in this nation rather than just giving it over to its fluff, right? If God disciplined, and and yet if persecution arose, 
we might then be, we might tend to want to be 18th century Americans before we're Christians, if you get my drift. A gentle disposition is a disposition fixed on God's sovereignty. It is long-sighted peacefulness. It is to be able to turn the other cheek when we are struck on the other. Here's another definition I found online. Aristotle, have you heard of him? No one has... <laughs> Greek, yeah, he's, he's an old dude. Um, he's dead, long dead. Greek philosopher, teacher. Has a lot to say about pro, this, this word, proates. It was his custom to find every virtue as the mean between two extremes. On one side, there was excess of some quality. On the other, defect, right? So excess and defect. But in between, there was the exact right proportion of something, okay? Aristotle defines proates as the mean between being too angry and never being angry at all. So it's like right in the middle, being too angry and never being angry at all. Um, to put that another way, the man who is proos is the man who is kindled by indignation at the wrongs and the sufferings of others, but is never moved to anger by the wrongs and insults he himself has to bear. Get it? Right? So when you, see in, when you see others suffering under injustice, you notice it and you take action. But when you yourself suffer injustice, you absorb it. You do turn the other cheek. Right? Um, but our tendency is to ignore the injustices of other people and really major on our own to the point of anger, right? If anybody steps on our toes, I mean, this is American individualism written large, right? Personal rights. And so if our rights are violated, we go ape, you know. But if other people's rights are violated, hmm, I've got better things to do. I think I'll go... Uh, paint the garage or something. So then the man who is meek is the man who is always angry at the right time but never angry at the wrong time. <laughs> um, here's another illustration that was found. There's another fact that will illumine the meaning of this word. Praus in the Greek uh, is the Greek for an animal which has been trained and domesticated until it is completely under control. Therefore, the man who is praus is the man who has every instinct and every passion under perfect control. It would not be right to say that such a man is entirely self-controlled, for such self-control is beyond human power, but it would be right to say that such a man is God-controlled. Okay? And so the images of a trained and domesticated animal that, 
then becomes completely under control. <laughs> that doesn't sit very well for us, does it? You need to become domesticated animals who have no thoughts of your own, but only do what their masters say. That's what gentleness is. To some extent, that's what gentleness is. And so the picture's starting to fill in of what gentleness is and what it's not. It's not simply the opposite of, of anger. It's, it's, it's anger. It's, it is anger at the right time. And it's just that our discernment is off about when we should be angry and when we shouldn't. And generally, we're, we're angry when we're personally offended, but very seldom are we angered when others are suffering an offense. Um, or we don't, we don't enter into somebody else's suffering until we personally are experiencing the exact same kind of suffering, right? And then we can advocate for, for what's right. But generally speaking, in this whirlwind of a world that we live in, right, where sin is everywhere, and sin is breaking down institutions, and sin is affecting family relationships, and sin is everywhere, the, the one who is gentle can just, can, is like that meme with the dog in the, the place where that's on fire, you know, and he says, it's, it's fine. It's fine. You guys have seen that one, right? The whole building's on fire, and I don't know what it's referred to as. I don't know my meme names. But he's, he's sitting in a building filled with fire and he's just sipping a cup of coffee. It's fine. That's gentleness. In a sense. That's gentleness. Things are happening around you. There, there is great suffering. You get diagnoses that set you on your heels. You don't, you don't know what to do next. You, you, people sin against you, you know, and things fall apart. And yet, you have to be able to say, okay, God is in prosperity as well as adversity. God's in this. God's doing something through this. Um, and when it, where we get scared is in large institutions. We think that we, we see chaos in the world. We see nations fighting against nations. We see, you know... Ukraine and Russia fighting this, what will be an endless war. It will never end. It just won't. It's going to go on for decade after decade after decade. And all the young men of those nations are going to be thrown into that grinder and die. Right? And we see Israel and Hamas. And that'll be more centuries of conflict, right? That is just the continuing conflict of centuries. And, you know, and then we, we sit back and we see the, the deterioration of Christianity and, and some idea of Christendom, and, and we, we see this and, and we think, we've got to do something. We've got to do something right now, right? We've got to do something. We've got to do it now. And there are things that we do need to do. I'm not saying that there isn't a time for action, but this, the, 
The fruit of the Spirit is to be able to say, okay, take a deep breath. God is seated on his throne. God knows. He has brought this about for his glory. We don't know how that works. We don't know how all of this works in the end to his glory, in the specifics. But it does because it's written in the Word. And so, um, so praise God. Praise God that that happened. Praise God along with Joseph when, you know, he's like, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You know, gentleness is his response. It's the response of Joseph. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Whereas we might be saying, I can't believe you guys ruined my life. Do you know what the last 25 years have been like before I got to be number two in the kingdom? You want to go to prison? You guys violated my personal rights. And I'm going to sue you. And I'm going to make you pay for it. I'm going to make your life as miserable as you made my life. That's not gentleness. It's the opposite of gentleness. Fruit of the Spirit is not common to Americans who have been taught that when personal rights are infringed upon, you are only right if you go crazy person always bringing up the oppression they are under because of microaggressions is not living with the spirit of proetes, of gentleness. Nor is the millenarian who hopes to take up arms against the godless state in acts of rebellion. The godless fight as if this world is all there is, and the millenarian rebels and acts as if this world is all that matters. And they only theoretically acknowledge that God is sovereign. And using all the things that we suffer for his glory. Now let me pivot here a little bit more. The manosphere. Let's talk about the manosphere. The, the masculinist movement. Um, I'm grateful for it in many respects. Um, grateful for uh, early work in this area. I think that today's manosphere is largely um, disgusting and childish and not to be followed. But the original guys who worked in these areas, at least in our nation, um, Tim Bailey, Wayne Grudem, um, others on the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, uh, all of this was the manosphere before there was a manosphere. And um, you know, and that quickly went in different directions, but the manosphere ignores this fruit of the Spirit. Today's young men think that gentleness is cowardice. And that's what the manosphere teaches them, right? And so one of the big, biggest practitioners in the manosphere is Jordan Peterson. If you go on his Twitter feed... He's just ranting and raving and insulting and denouncing and calling everybody else ignorant and stupid and fools. Everybody, his governing authorities, intellectuals, everybody's stupid idiots. And that's what he talks about. 
And it plays well with young men. It plays well with young men who don't have a thought in their head. And so they, they, and so you see encapsulated in Jordan Peterson this hatred of gentleness. This hatred of gentleness. They seemingly believe gentleness is an abandonment of masculine virtue or is only reserved for the woman who is, after all, to demonstrate a quiet and gentle spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is for men and for women. And one of those fruit that we are all to demonstrate is gentleness. And so we, and look, the manosphere is a reactionary movement to feminism, and feminism has killed its billions, okay? I have no place in my heart for feminism, <laughs> all right? They have killed their billions in abort- their sacrament of abortion, okay? That's the fruit of feminism. And then the manosphere comes along and it's a reactionary movement, right? It's just reacting to that excess. And good, we need a reaction to one or two billion deaths. It's a good good thing to react to. Um, But they're just a bunch of, you know, high school athlete jocks who had a thought in their brain once. That's the manosphere. Okay? It's the jocks read a book. The jocks read a book and they're like, hmm, yeah, I think I can say some outlandish things and get attention and build a following. And they do it. Right? And, and we've become so concerned now in the church, the church, we look on this and we're like, yeah, male and female, really important. We need to emphasize male and female, as I've always done through my ministry, right? Male and female, male and female. And, and, and we've become so concerned about producing men with chests that we have bundled gentleness together with cowardice and thrown that bundle out. That's what we've done. And so there is, you know, the worst thing you could be is a gentle man. It's the worst thing you could be according to the manosphere. You know, and and just look at the things we give ourselves to. Look at the look at the weapons of warfare that we give ourselves to. Look at the Look at the things, the the building up of the body. Look at the things that we give ourselves to. The vanity. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And gentleness is the answer to all of this. Right? What a man who like um, Stonewall Jackson can be in the midst of battle and be like, God has ordained these bullets in their flight. <laughs> you know? And just have a sense of the sovereignty of God where he's like, I don't have to, I don't have to build a bigger weapon. God's going to lead those bullets exactly where he wants those bullets to go. And so I can be, I can be gentle in the midst of this. You know, that's a man but we are so concerned about producing men with chests that we have 
we, we've relegated gentleness into the category of the deeds of the flesh rather than the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's my moment on the manosphere. I can say a lot more on that. I can say a lot more about what I think is good about it. But uh, generally, the, the, um, the jocks learned how to read and do videography. That's what they did. And now they have way too much influence. And it's godless. You know, the manosphere is much more attracted to and promoting Islam than it is Christianity. And the reason for that is there's no talk of gentleness in Islam. You know, and, and the Savior, there is no Savior in Islam who dies for his people, which is just cowardice, you know, that the, that, that the God-man would die on a tree. So, so disgusting. What a weak God. Right? And so, um, and so you see, you know, the, many of the practitioners of the manosphere tending toward Islam because they just want, because they hate gentleness. They want violence. All right. I'll move away. There's a difference between gentleness and shyness. Okay? Being shy is not being gentle. Shy is pride. Okay? Shy is, I am not going to talk to people. So sh sh being shy is sin. It is pride. Um, being gentle is not. Being gentle is a fruit of the Spirit. And, um, and, and gentleness is, is not cowardice. Shyness is often cowardice. Right? Um, you're just, a, you know, we who can be shy, are afraid of everything. It's just, and so that's sin, right? Um, we want to chalk it up to some sort of no man's land temperament, personality zone, um, but God doesn't let us get away with such um, designations, right? Um, so, so gentleness is not like making a virtue out of the pride of of shyness or making a virtue out of the, the uh, sin of cowardice. It's not those things. Um, <clears throat> not defying tyrants at every turn might appear to be cowardly or heartless, but what of a gentle response that doesn't demand reparation for the things you've suffered? Right? What about a gentle response that doesn't require one-to-one, -one, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the lex talonis, you know? What of that? I think that's gentleness. Um, gentleness is resolved, so, so I could go off on the woke. Just as I went off on the manosphere, I could easily go off on the woke for the same thing. The woke are always saying, my rights have been oppressed. I need reparations that correspond to the exact amount of suffering that you've given to me, right? And that's not gentleness. That's not saying God is sovereign. He sanctified me through this. I accept it. I'm moving on. It's no. It's to like, 
It's like remember everything, record it, monetize it, and make sure it gets into my bank account. Over microaggressions, microaggressions, little tiny things that you perceive as being aggressions against you. Gentleness is resolve saturated in the sovereignty of God. Who ordains all things, prosperity and adversity. He ordains all things. And so at every moment we can say, okay, God, you know. You know. You know, that was so insulting to me. What that person just said was so insulting to me. You know. And I don't need to do anything about it. Gentleness is the result of having one's mind set on things above rather than the things of the earth. Now think on this verse. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. <laughs> it's not the conquerors, it's not the violent, it's not those who are clamoring for this or that, it's not those who have their minds set on this earth, who inherit that earth, it's the gentle who aren't even thinking about it, who are thinking about the sovereign God who's seated on his throne in heaven, who aren't thinking, of, you know, they're completely focused on pleasing God and doing what he, he wants uh, them to do and not thinking about what they could have and what they could get and what material and what reparations and what all this stuff, you know, and what fame and what followers, but it's they who inherit the earth. Ha ha ha. God sets everything, right? Just wait. Just wait. God sets everything right. God will set everything in order. We do not have to clamor with a spirit of violence, we can wait in a spirit of gentleness. And that's not cowardice, right? It is the gentle, you could say even the tolerant, that inherit what everybody else is fighting for. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus Christ is gentle and humble in heart, among other qualities, all perfect, right? That's just part of his perfection, is his humility and his gentleness. And the yoke we put on from Jesus arises from his tolerance toward us. His gentleness toward us, right? He became sin, our sin, right? So that we might be set free, and he actually endured the wrath of his father, and all throughout that, he had a gentle spirit. He was resolved to the sovereign God in all of that. There's not much gain for him. All he wanted was to go back to the glory he had with the father before the creation of the world, right? But he suffered all of that in that spirit of gentleness, that resolve to the sovereignty of God, and we reap the reward. We reap the benefits. So, praise God. Hope this was helpful and made sense. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have exhorted us this morning to be uh, gentle and to have a spirit of gentleness, have fruit that comes from the spirit that leads to gentleness. Oh, Lord, we need help with this. And so we ask that the spirit would stir up this quality in us and that we would excel still more. Uh, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.